This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good afternoon. It's Friday, September 20th, and you are listening to the College Football Daily, dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. Today, we're playing the audio version of the 24-7 Sports College Football Show, which airs live every Thursday at 1130 a.m. Central on YouTube, Periscope, and Facebook. I'll have links to the on-demand video for each of those platforms linked in the show notes, but if you're good without the video, just keep listening because you're about to hear me, Josh Ayler, Barton Simmons, and Trey Scott preview week four of the college football season. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Show. My name's Josh Ayler, joined by Barton Simmons, Trey Scott, Connor Tapp throughout the show. How are we doing today? Good. Uh, apologies for the late start, but uh, we're ready to rock. A little technical difficulties. Barton, how you doing? I feel great. Um, you got a hat on. You look great. Yeah, representing Faraday brand uh, uh-huh. once again, like the good old days. Yeah, I'm ready to roll. Got cool. like a new hat. I mean, Josh has a new outfit on. And happy anniversary. Happy anniversary, by the way. Josh. Thank you. <laughs> Big day for Josh. Maybe what's happy Just early for something for me. Oh, uh, happy birthday, Trey. Thank you. Tomorrow. Is your birthday today? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Wow. Congratulations. I don't know how you've missed it throughout the office. That's all he's talking about. <laughs> uh, Big week this weekend. Yes. Exciting okay. weekend of football. Uh, yes. Um, care less about – while I am excited about your anniversary, I'm much more excited about the football slate okay. that is on deck. Well, so let's, stop talking about your anniversary. Uh, <laughs> let's move on. All right. Let's go ahead and get started. Well, like you said, big week, big weekend of games. It's only week four. There are massive, massive playoff implications on the line. Who, you know, who has the most to lose? Who has the most to gain? Let's go ahead and jump into it, fellas. So, Trey, take it away. Well, I'm glad you guys came in today. Barton, you seemed a little bit off the last few weeks. So I'm going to put you through sort of an evaluation, a, a test, if you will. Oh, it's like a prop. Yeah, we've All got right. a prop. We're okay. going to go through a test. And I'm going to learn about you a little bit today. Okay. We're going to start. Michigan is headed to Madison, Wisconsin. And, Barton, look, at, look, look up on the screen. We've got strongly agree. We've got agree, disagree, strongly disagree. Throughout the course of this skit, you will have one of those choices to choose from for every hypothetical I'm going to present to you. So, Barton, tell me, is this a must-win for the Wolverines? Uh, I agree that this is a must-win for the Wolverines. Um, I, I think when you look at this game, first of all, there, I mean, the expectations were kind of out of whack preseason. Um, perhaps after this game we'll realize that they, they weren't off base and this team really isn't a playoff contender. But they certainly haven't looked like a playoff contender for the first two weeks. Uh, because of those expectations, because they still have a tough road in the East, because they still have Iowa to play, they still have Ohio State, on, they still have uh, Penn State, like this is a game that they have to win to make a statement Mm -hmm. that all is well, 
we can still play for a playoff. We can still beat Ohio State. Because what would like what would the line be right now in a Michigan Ohio State game? After all offseason, everyone talking about this is the year. If you can't beat them without Urban Meyer, when are you going to beat them? I mean, probably like a home like it's a home, so probably a home touchdown dog. Yeah, yeah, at, at, at least. And so yeah, I think this is a must win because regardless of how good Wisconsin has looked, they're still a West team. And uh, you're supposed to be in the Big Bad East. Did you start this season thinking that this is sort of the year for Jim Harbaugh as far as we learn, are you a competent championship winning coach or not? So if you did start the season thinking that, is this the game where we learn yes or no to that? That's kind of like another question. We're not going to learn whether Jim Harbaugh is a competent championship level coach in one game. I've... I know he hasn't won a championship at Michigan, but I think he is a competent champion. Like, you can win a championship with Jim Harbaugh. Um, but I think they've got to – I mean, the new offensive coordinator, Josh Gaddis, is still getting his feet under him. They're still getting in a, a rhythm offensively. Shea Patterson's been a little dinged up. You know, maybe he looks a little more consistent now that he appears to be more healthy for this game. So – there's just a lot of questions that need to be answered, and I think unless you come away with this in a, with a win, then you, you don't you don't answer many of those in the affirmative. Did Michigan dodge a bullet here with this game being played early instead of at night with the routingness and stuff? Because like you know, the eleven o'clock games or the, the noon games on the East Coast, whatever, seem to be a little less rowdy than the night games, and like it seems to be more of a home field advantage at night. Yeah, I mean, I think that that helps. Or is that just being ridiculous? Uh, no, I think it helps. I mean, sure. But I think it's it's still it's still a game on the road, and Wisconsin isn't the type of team that is is gonna um, isn't gonna show up early in the morning. So I, I'm I'm not I'm not weighing that in heavily in my calculations. But it's yeah, it's 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 a nice benefit. It'll be a fun game. All right, let's move on to Wisconsin. So the statement here is the Badgers are the Big Ten's West. I want to know what you think. Big Ten West best. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I strongly agree with that. Okay. I mean, what, like, someone tell me the alternative. Like, how could... Iowa? I mean, Iowa could could beat Wisconsin, sure. Uh, And we're still, I mean, I think that Iowa State team is really good. And Iowa has looked looked sharp in the first two games. Um, They got outgained by Iowa State. And very easily could have lost that game, but they didn't. They figured out a way, and that's kind of Iowa's style. But I think what Wisconsin's shown us so far, with their ability to throw the football with Jack Cohn, He's and not, yeah, not he, turning it over. No, not turning it over. They're getting Jonathan Taylor involved in the pass game. They've got Quintez Cephas back as a deep threat. The defense, even though they played South Florida and UCF, as efficient as any unit in the country, they're, they're just there hasn't been any warts, and so. Obviously, this is their first real test. So, but I think heading into this game, I, I would, I would, very confidently, if I were to re-rank the Big Ten West, I'd put Wisconsin. At the Remember top. last year, I uh, chose Wisconsin to make the playoff in the preseason, and they were, you know, a big disappointment. But they, Wisconsin last year was clearly just a blip, just an anomaly. Like they're back to their Wisconsin winning ways, ground and pound. Their defense hasn't allowed a point yet. I think if they win this game Saturday, it's time to take them very seriously as a playoff contender. And I think they would be a more dangerous, a more better playoff contender than like the Wisconsin teams in the past where we'd be like, yeah, but they really haven't played anyone. Like, yeah, they, they didn't play anyone in the non-conference schedule, but they look so good. I think they might uh, beat Michigan pretty I think the thoroughly. question is, 
So the question, that's an easy, strongly agree to me, is are they the best in the Big Ten West? Are they a playoff contender? Like, we don't find that out until this game. But if, and if they just squeeze by Michigan, then I'm probably not there yet. Mm-hmm. But if they win this game decisively, Michigan's good enough to where that's a, that's a pretty good feather in your cap. And so I think then we can start really taking them seriously as a team. We could possibly start to bump up into that tier of the six the teams six. and everybody else. Mm-hmm. Maybe Wisconsin's kind of knocking on that door of the six. Let's move on. Uh, big game in Austin. Oklahoma State is going to, going to play at Texas. Oklahoma State has beaten Texas every year since 2014. My question to you is, Barton, should we be looking out for the Cowboys in the Big 12 race? And we have two hypotheticals here. So let's say with a win. With a win, what do you think? So with a win, I would absolutely agree. Sure, okay. Um, and, and because that is, I mean, you're beating who, you know, most people view Texas as sort of the second best team in the, West, in, the in the Big 12, yeah, if Big not 1A, 1B. So that, I mean, you just beat them. So very clearly okay. that, that, that you are a Big 12, Big 12 West contender. I think their offense is loaded. Um, if you beat Texas, clearly your defense got a couple stops and meaningful moments too. Now, I think to go to the other side of it, yeah, which is loss. can you watch out for, the, for Oklahoma State in the Big 12 rest, West race, or the Big 12 race, excuse yeah. me, with a loss? I, I actually think I would agree with that statement. Yes, you can. You, you still think you they... St- I think the Big 12 has the kind of parity to where Oklahoma State could lose this game and, uh, I mean, assuming they look competitive doing it, I don't think it's out of the question to think Oklahoma State could go and beat every other team in the Big 12. And I include Oklahoma in that. Mm-hmm. I just think – and look, we, I mean, we have to see improvement from Oklahoma State defensively. Uh, they've given up some points to some very average teams so far this year. Oregon State, Tulsa uh, are moving the football on them. But when you have – a Mike Gundy offense with a running back in Chuba Hubbard, which who is, I don't know, as good as any running back in the country. He's leading the nation in uh, touchdowns and yards. 175 yards a game. Like, He's eight more yards than halfway to 1,000. And you, you got the got, best receiver in the country. Yeah, maybe. Tylen Wallace. I mean, there's a lot of people stats that would argue wise, that. I'll say stats but wise. stats, I mean, and, and then you have a Spencer Sanders at quarterback who – you know, he's, he has looked more dynamic than a quarterback we've seen at Oklahoma State in a while. So just, again, I mean, it, it, you could lose this game in competitive fashion, and you're looking at a, very, like a great opportunity to go and knock off a lot, of, a lot of other teams in the Big 12. I think it's a commentary on where the Big 12 is right now in terms of having – there's probably seven teams in that conference right now that I think could beat just about any other team in the conference. Uh, yeah, it's – One of the early games of the year, like right now I'm telling you this, Bedlam in late November, the last week of the regular season, it's in Stillwater. Spencer Sanders at that point is going to be in a groove, not a freshman anymore. Oklahoma better watch out. So for Texas, with one loss already, the Longhorns can still make the playoff with a win. How do you feel about that? Well, with a with a win, I strongly agree. Okay. Because the way they lost to LSU was in competitive fashion – it was, a, it was a game in which they can look back on, and we expect LSU to go on and have a good year, and we can look back on and we can say, you know what, Texas was right there with them. They were as good as, as LSU, ball bounced a couple different ways, maybe they win it. So then you look at the rest of their schedule, yep. and they're going to have an opportunity to beat Oklahoma. They, I just talked about how highly I think uh, I, I view the rest of the Big 12. I think wins over teams like TCU, wins like this Oklahoma State win, 
wins like a, even a Kansas State, Baylor, Iowa, Iowa State. State. Like those are all very high quality wins if that's what they do, if they go on to go to 11 1. So, I, with I don't another think, win over OU in the Big 12 title. Yeah, so I, I think, um, uh, yeah, I think they're very, very capable of going on. Now, with a loss, I would be on the opposite sure. end of the spectrum. Two losses. You just two losses. Now, look, I what mean. What if they beat OU twice? Nah, you can't. I, I'm pleased, though, Barton, that you said strongly agree with a win. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, as, I'm, as I sit here, because I said strongly disagree with a loss, and as I sit here, I'm, I'm th- my, like the wheels are turning in my head thinking like if, it, if, if it, at some point a two-win team is going to get into the playoffs. The problem is probably Texas with a sort of an out-of-conference loss. If they go, if they had beaten LSU, then maybe as long as you win the Big 12 championship, you can slip up along the way, but you got that LSU win. I think it's going to be hard to, to pick Texas with two losses over whoever the SEC is trotting out there. Potentially two teams, yes, he's trotting out there. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, let's go to College Station. We'll start with number 17, Texas A&M. So last year, the Aggies won nine games. With a win against Auburn, do you see them matching that total? Uh, let's see. Yeah, I, 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 I do. Um, and then this is a tough schedule. Uh, I mean, when you, when you look at what Texas A&M would have to get through mm-hmm. uh, to get to, to nine wins, you're so, talking you still so you still have Alabama. You you got to beat one of because you already have your one loss to Clemson. Mm-hmm. So you basically then have to and, you, and let's assume let's just assume for the sake of argument you lose to Alabama. So then you have to beat two of Mississippi State, South Carolina, at Georgia, at LSU. So we're already saying like even just getting one of those. Is is a, a, I mean, a statement, or even only if you only yeah. lose one of those, that that's a pretty good strong statement on who this Texas A&M team is. So I think it's, I mean, saying that they could get to nine wins with a win here is, uh, I mean, I, I think that speaks highly of kind of how we view Texas A&M. With a loss, what do you think? Is that off the table? So they've got the three guaranteed losses, in my opinion, if they lose to Auburn after this, Alabama, Georgia, LSU. They've got some surefire ones, Arkansas, they play UTSA, they play Ole Miss. And I think the ones in the middle, Mississippi State, South Carolina. So, you know, with the loss, you're going strongly disagree. We've got that down as a, uh, a strongly disagree. Um, do you think it's important, though, for Jimbo Fisher to, to match nine wins to show progress in year two? I don't think so, because I think the way the schedule sets up is more about, to me, being competitive. It's more about going to Georgia between the hedges and threatening them. It's more about going to, and, and I, you know, Texas A&M fans may not want to hear that, but I think if you get to the end of this season and they're eight and four and they've lost two games in November, but those two games are to Georgia and LSU, two teams that may be in the playoffs, and they've been in that fight down to the wire, then I think it doesn't matter that it's eight and four. It doesn't matter that we're looking at a Kevin Sumlin-esque record. It's, it's more about sort of what the product looks like on the field because you, ha- you have to have looked at this season from day one as this is the next building block to 2020. Because 2020, they got to be good. Yeah. That's, that's when I think you really start to evaluate Jimbo Fisher. So Auburn's already got a win over Oregon. You're going to college station as an underdog. A lot of implications for Gus Malzahn. Will he be off the hot seat, <clears throat> Barton, with a win? So, 
I, what I say? I think I said yes here. Yeah, you agree. He'll be with off that. the hot seats. And I kind of mean this forget. is like a weekly question. It is. It really is. Yes, it I mean, is. it's it's so Gus Malzahn is kind of always on the proverbial hot seat. But I think my point is here: if you beat Texas A&M and you've already mm-hmm. beaten Oregon, and knowing what else is out there in the West, so okay, maybe they lose to Alabama, maybe they lose to LSU, maybe they lose to Georgia. You, I mean. What else do you want from the guy? I mean, those are those are maybe the three best teams in the country. You, he's not on the hot seat. If he's going to Kyle Field and winning, if he's if he's beating Oregon, who is rolling people right now in a nationally um, sort of a yeah. pr- premier showcase game, I just think sure someone's going to talk about him on the hot seat, but like it's not realistic to me. I think the thing for Auburn is like what you beat number you know number ten or eleven Oregon. You beat a top 25 Texas A&M, and you lose to those other teams. Like, why is that not good enough? I know Auburn wants to be Alabama, but Gus Malzahn's the only guy who beats Nick Saban outside Dabo Sweeney. So in the SEC, it's just Gus Malzahn. They're knocking off Alabama, it feels like, every four years. And what could Auburn do that's better right now? Mike Norvell? Like, I, I, that's, that, honestly, for any of these guys that, that you're thinking of firing, that's always the question, is who, who is better and I a couple years ago, I feel like there was a lot of hot names. Mm-hmm. I don't know that right now there's that clear group of five or hot coordinator that everyone's crawling all over them, each other to hire. So now maybe he emerges this season, yeah. but I just think Gus Malzahn's got a little bit of uh, a little bit wiggle room here. Now let's say they lose to Texas A&M, and I tell you Gus Malzahn's off the hot seat. You're gonna sell, you see the meter. That's a disagree. Yeah. I, yeah, I would disagree there. Okay. Um, because if you lose to Texas A&M, then when you're talking about, you know, what else you want from Gus Malzahn, well, you want this. You yeah. want you want to beat Texas A&M. You want you may not be Alabama. You may not be LSU. And even that's hard to stomach if you're an Auburn fan. But if you're if you're an Auburn fan, what you do, you, you're not you, willing to cede that real estate in the, the division. SEC West. <laughs> yeah. And so I think this is. Because it is a program with such high expectations, because he is a guy that's always on and off the hot seat, then I think you start looking at a loss and you're saying, I don't care if you're underdogs here. Go beat Texas A&M. This is year two of Jimbo Fisher. How long have you been around Gus Malzahn? I guess. So, yeah, I think that he would, the, hot, the seat would remain hot uh, with a loss. Big game Friday night. There's a lot on the line on this one. Utah, USC. All right, hypothetical here. Clay Helton loses his job by the October 5th bye. So USC has a bye before the October 12th game against Notre Dame. With a win, how do you feel about this statement? Uh, with a win, I would strongly disagree. No, Let's you see. strongly agree. Oh, we're going uh, to Utah. I'm you, sorry. Okay, going, there you go. Sorry, Colin. Uh, no, All right. There we go. All right. All right. So we're going to both. <laughs> we'll handle both. I strongly disagree that Clay Helton it loses his job by October with a win. And I still disagree that he loses his job by October 5th with a loss. Okay, tell me why. Well, with a win, it sort of goes without saying. I mean, all right, you, got, you just beat a playoff contender. I mean, it's, you, things are, look like they're heading in the right direction. They haven't even looked bad the first couple weeks. So that doesn't even necessarily um, need a, a, a long description there. But with a loss, I think, the reason I disagree is the fact that we're sitting here over the, you know, looking over his shoulder, who's even going to fire him? There's no athletic director. There's no athletic director. The, the athletic department is in flux right now. That's not to say his job is safe, but I just don't think that that administration wants 
uncertainty throughout the season um, without someone in place to actually make that fire, make that higher. So I feel like Clay Helton has got a leash through. Like, and, and look, if Lynn Swan was still there, this, this question might be, or answer might be a little different. But I got a hard time believing that they're ready to make that decision given uh, all the instability right now in that administration. Yeah, so it's been a week since Lynn Swan was fired. And we kind of knew that was coming. Like we talked about this all summer, that Carol Folt was going to, the president was going to make a move. And so we also said, well, then Clay Helton's certainly in, in, in trouble. But if it's been a week since you fired your AD and you have nothing cooking on it, not even like an interim AD to make a move because Texas did that once when they you know, fired Charlie Strong and hired Tom Herman. Yeah, I, f- I feel like now Clay Helton's got his job until, until November. Right, unless, unless things were just, unless they're just getting boat raced every week and then, then all of a sudden, hey, maybe someone just has to step in and say, hey, we got to get these guys at least believing Giving them, giving them some reason to start giving an effort again. But they're playing hard. They've got a true freshman quarterback. They, you know, they, they're losing overtime to BYU. They beat Stanford. Um, I think the U, this USC team looks healthier than they have in a long time, actually. I was a little bit surprised to hear Ryan Abraham saying on the Parastyle podcast that he thinks USC needs to win out for Clay Helton to, to have a job next season. Do you guys? Win out? Win out. I, I kind of agree. Like, it sounds like this has been coming for a while. There's if just, they went out, they'd be 11-1. Right. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it just sounds like he's gone either way. Unless he wins out. Like, does it, do we, I, it kind of feels like USC fans want him gone, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. they're eyeing Urban Meyer. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think I'm, I'm surprised that Ryan Abraham said that, too. And, and I think Clay Helton, from a personality standpoint, is someone that everyone innately is kind of rooting for. All you ever hear about is what a good guy he is. People in the building love him. But ultimately, maybe that's why they've not been that great. And so clearly, this Lynn Swan resignation is tied in part to the need to make a change in, in football. So I'm surprised to hear 11-1 and one is the threshold. Um, Nine and three, ten and two. See, like it's. I mean, how do you fire someone who's nine and three, yeah. uh, even? And and certainly not ten and two. So, that's that would be interesting. But I I don't think that's. I think it's all going to be a moot point because I do think they lose this weekend. I think that they uh, have a f- few more losses along the way, yeah. including Notre Dame. And so, Washington's next up after this. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's go to. Sorry. Let's go back to Utah. So. I'm going to say the Utes are a legit playoff contender with a win. Yes, Barton, you're going to what? Strongly agree. Sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because look at the rest of the Pac-12. I mean, they, they're, they are clearly, I think, the front runner in that conference. And you're still going to get – I mean, if you win out in the Pac-12, you're going to get in. So, no doubt. Are yeah. you sure about that? You think that a, a, an undefeated Pac-12 champion will get left out of the playoffs? I don't think that. But I think, it, I think there's a question, especially if the SEC – three-team scenario kind of plays out the way we've been imagining it. Well, I know it's only been three weeks, so it's hard to say that's going to happen. But if Clemson runs a table and if, if the SEC, if, you know, LSU loses only to Alabama and Alabama and Georgia, you know, I don't know what would have to happen in Atlanta. I think the committee has proven they're going to put the four best teams in. So, meanwhile, if Utah's best wins are BYU, Washington in the Pac-12 title, USC, I don't know. 
I don't know. I'm not saying Utah's not good enough, but it's been a long time since the committee put a Pac-12 team in. Yeah, I mean, I, I would be really interested if Utah. All right, so let's go. Let's, let's just go to the bring, loss. Yeah, so let's go to the loss because here's the other. I mean, yeah, fill that meter up to disagree. Yeah, because th- now, now I'm with you. Now, if you throw a blemish on a Pac-12 program, then your your count. You need a lot of more chaos to take place. You need you need. LSU, Georgia, Alabama, you need two of those teams mm-hmm. to be two lost teams. Mm-hmm. You, you probably need, another, you talk about the six, Ohio State, Oklahoma, uh, Clemson, you probably need two two lost teams out of them. Yep. Because you're just, you're not going to get the nod over any of the six. And so, uh, so I would disagree that they're a legit playoff contender if they lose to USC because there's not, the, the margin for error is really limited in the Pac-12. We're talking about Georgia. Georgia has a chance here against Notre Dame in Athens to sort of get a really nice resume win and to get an insurance win because Georgia has a tough schedule remaining. They've got uh, Auburn still. They're going to have Florida. We don't know what the Gators are going to look like quite without Felipe Franks. And then, of course, maybe Alabama in the SEC title game or LSU. So, Barton, the Bulldogs are a playoff lock. What happens with a win? Uh, With a win? Yep. I disagree that they're a playoff lock. There's just too, there's too much left uh-huh. on that schedule. Too much meat on the bone in terms of challenges in front of them. I'm just pulling up their schedule right now. I can't find it here. All right, so they still got to go. First of all, I mean, who knows what, what Florida really is this year, but they got to beat Florida. They got to win at Auburn. They have to beat Texas A&M, and then they might have to win an SEC championship game. Um, so I think they could win this game, and that's great. And we don't even really know who Notre Dame is yet. Yeah. I mean, maybe this win doesn't even look that good by the end of the year if they win this game. Uh, so I think that if they win this game, their playoff stock improves. Like, they, they, they take a, another step into that Alabama-Clemson tier, which you, you could argue they're already in. Yeah. But, but I think some of that hesitation, if any have it, starts to, to dissipate. But ultimately, there's still a lot of, lot of season left that they got to get through. I guess with the loss hypothetical, it's kind of the same thing. Um, you, you don't, they could lose this game and still be fine. Well, it's, it's the opposite with the loss hypothetical. Because, because there is so much left, you have so many more opportunities to prove yourself. I mean, if you go and, and run the table in the SEC, which includes Florida, Auburn, Texas A&M, and either Alabama or LSU in the, in the championship game, who's going to keep you out? So I would actually... Would I say disagree? I would strongly disagree, yeah. probably, is a better way of saying that, because Georgia's got so much season left after this. This is just the, the next real big opportunity to sort of make a statement as much as anything. Well, this next one's pretty simple, Barton. Notre Dame, big underdog. The Irish will make the playoff. Yeah, I, I think with, the, with win, the win, and this is, I think this is kind of probably the most fun question we've yeah. had here, because this is not a can they, this is a will they. If Notre Dame wins, they I think they make the playoff. So it's crazy to think that they, that that big of a game could be this early in the season. But I think what happens there if Notre Dame beats Georgia, because of how good we think Georgia is, all of a sudden that changes what we think of Notre Dame. All of a sudden Notre Dame looks like no, not just uh, a team that's you know you got to count for and they're they're the Fighting Irish and um, you know every game. They're going to get people's best shot. No, I mean, they just beat Georgia. A team we, just thought, we thought was maybe the third best team in the country. Maybe the best team in the country. 
And so I think it changes how we look at Notre Dame, and then it changes how we look at the rest of their schedule. Because Michigan isn't looking like that tough of a game right now. I'm not I mean it's a tough game, but it's not looking like this Georgia game, for example. And so all of a sudden you're looking at Notre Dame and you're saying who's going to beat them. If, if Georgia at home at night can't beat Notre Dame, this team looks like a playoff team. Well, you didn't say strongly agree. So I'm wondering, is that just, you know, too much well, left up to chance? You've got Austin, oh, got Michigan. Oh, for sure. I mean, even last year, we had to kind of sweat through that. Because early in the year, I think, I mean, we started to look at their schedule in like week three. Yeah. As some of the teams that we thought were good weren't that good, whether it's USC Virginia or the Stanford, Tech. Virginia Techs. And we started to say, whoa, who's stopping this team? Yeah. And... I think the same thing happens this year, but because there's still so much unknown this early in the season of who's going to be good, who's not. I mean, shoot, maybe that Navy game is going to be tough. You know, we just don't really know yet. Um, but so yeah, it's hard to go strongly agree given where we kind of think Notre Dame is right now. But like, so when like I've heard this been talked about a lot. I've been listening to other podcasts. People say how many teams can legit win it. And, like, I hear five to six. And I don't think I've heard people put Notre Dame in that no. five to six. No, they're not in it right now, I don't think. There's a, to me, it's, it's a clear six. It's a clear top It's a clear six-man tier that is above everyone else that are legitimate national championship threats. And I don't think Notre Dame's in it. But that's the whole point. Like, if they beat Georgia, hey, throw them in it. Would you have put them in it if they hadn't played so poorly against Clemson in the playoff? Uh, no, okay. I'm not holding that against. You're not them. holding that against them at all. I tell you what, I, I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect them to be in. Like I wouldn't necessarily put them in the six. But if you want to add them there, I wouldn't exclude it. I wouldn't argue if they had gone and just housed Ellis or uh, Louisville. Yeah. But they didn't. They they gave up a bunch of big plays to Louisville. Their defense looked a little shaky. The linebacking core looks like they're still figuring out their way. So. That's all we've had to go on with Notre Dame because in the other game, what, New Mexico State? Yeah. Like, so it's, uh, I mean, this is, this is the first real test for them. All right, last one with Notre Dame. And this is, you kind of toyed around with this one, Barton. So if they lose, you, they're out. Yeah, yeah. You, you thought just, about it during the summertime. I did. You're right. Yeah. That's, yeah. In the summertime, I actually toyed with Notre Dame because here's, I actually think, I think what my play was in the summer when I picked Notre Dame back in like, June or something yeah. to be a playoff team with an 11 and one record and a loss to Georgia. It was they beat Georgia, but they're still better than the rest of their schedule. Mm-hmm. I feel confident in their ability to get to 11 and one. And then, are you going to keep an 11 and one team out if, say, Georgia loses two games or if uh, you know some of this other chaos takes place? I've fallen off of that just because I think even at 11 and one, which I think they're still capable of doing if they lose to Georgia. I just think, again, it's that tier. I just think the people are going to be more inclined to go towards one of those six teams based on just what our eyes are telling us. And, and there's a lot of – and I think the Clemson game plays into that I think last so year. For sure. I also think uh, Ohio State and LSU are better than we thought they would be so far. Yes. And I think that kind of helps. Like, yeah, even if those – even if LSU loses a game, even if Ohio State loses a game, what they put on the field right now, you put the best four in, so – yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that's that's a big, a big X factor that's changed this year. This season is just seeing Ohio State and LSU. If you blow talk, up. if you talk to fans and like you read the comments, they are. I, I know the playoff committee is not supposed to. People are absolutely holding Notre Dame's playoff performance against them. And, right. And, and remember, last year they were holding Notre Dame's 2012 BCS title game performance against Alabama against them too. I kind of did as well, and because it was a, a, a very 
stark contrast to talent, to be quite honest with you. And it was a reminder of what a top five talent team looks like and a top 12. And we saw it in 2012. We saw it last year. I can't say I was surprised. And I think we're going to kind of see the same thing on, on Saturday. And, and I get it. Yeah. But I also think that's unfair to hold that game against Notre Dame when you consider that Notre Dame lost to Clemson by fewer points than Alabama did. And Notre, like, when you're talking about that game, the, off, like, the offense never really looked like they were going to be able to score on Clemson. I get that. But we're really talking about like an eight-minute stretch at the end of the first half and the beginning of the second half, which, which basically decided that game. You know, if, if that eight minutes goes a little different, I'm not saying that they would have. There's very few scenarios where I could have seen Clemson or Notre Dame ever winning that game. But I, I can see a lot of scenarios in which that game would have been a lot closer than it was. Guys, keep hitting us with questions, comments. We're going to have a fan of the week later on during the show. Uh, let's throw it to Connor. What you got so far? Yeah, we were talking about Clay Helton and his future at USC. Urban Meyer's been a name that people have been eager to connect to that potential vacancy. Meyer will actually be at the Coliseum this weekend as part of his duty for uh, for the Fox Big Noon kickoff show. Uh, but Blanton wants to know who are some non-Urban Meyer candidates if the USC job does come open. Well, the one that would have been a candidate is Dino Babers. He's got a very, you know, he's, he's coached all over the country. He's coached at UCLA. He is a style that travels, a personality that fits. But that, with the, the start to this season, I think Dino Bader's name would yeah. be scratched off the list. The other big name that would be a clear candidate would be James Franklin, mm. Penn State. Um, someone that recruits well, that would embrace the L.A. Mm-hmm. sort of, in, in some ways, it, it, it would strike, like, it, it, it would seem to be a better fit even than Penn State for him from a personality standpoint, but he's a Pennsylvania guy, and so, I mean, I'm not, there's no, no one's saying he would go, but that would be another target. Um, I'm going to throw two more at you. Yeah. Uh, Chris Peterson. Yes, sir. Would he, would he possibly leave? I he's, don't think he would. I think he's, I think Chris Peterson likes being in this sort of, under the radar, we're Washington, we're big time, but no, but the expectations are not, like, I don't have to go chase stars. No one's going to get mad at me if I don't have a top 10 class. I think he likes being in that sort of zone. I wonder, though, if he's hitting the point in his career, he's seen what he can do at Washington. And I guess I guess he's, I sh- seen, the, he's seen the ceiling at Washington, Barton, and it's make the playoff. And I'm only saying this is given the talent profile that Washington can attract as far as recruiting. Make the playoff and probably get blown out. I don't know. I, I may, maybe uh, we never thought he would leave Boise State. Who's the other one you got? Randomly, Justin Wilcox. Yes or no? Cow coach, defensive mastermind, uh, has yeah. some USC connections. Too I think. Early. You, uh, yeah, too, I think you got to you got to prove that you can get put together an offense first. I mean, what about Kyle Whittingham? Well, the, he was the, he was a Vegas favorite last time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's. Uh, I'm not buying Bob Stoops as a as a candidate to back as a. I, Bob Stoops want to be like, what I need is if I'm USC or even Auburn. Yeah. Um, uh, another question uh, about the Florida quarterback situation. Dan Mullen been talking this week, kind of intimating that we'll see a little bit of a two-quarterback system on, against Tennessee. Um, Sarah wants to know if Florida should just straight up start Emory Jones over Kyle Trask. No, I don't think so. The, I mean I, – I get the sort of door number two and a high-profile recruit, all that stuff. 
that that might tempt people to say in that. But Kyle Trask was I mean, he almost beat like he was about to beat out Felipe Franks for the job last year, and he is, I think, a guy that is more trustworthy right now. Emory Jones maybe more upside long term, but hey, I mean, I'm not there in practice. Maybe he's made big strides, but I think as a freshman, it appeared he was a long way off. So I think Kyle Trask is a that's a very competent quarterback to run your show. And Emory Jones may give you a couple more big plays, but I think he's going to give you a couple more negative plays. Too. I'm not trying to take away what he did. He led that comeback. Good for him. But the coaching staff at Kentucky helped him out a lot. They went and they dropped in the prevent. Uh, they just let him throw all over the field and march down there and score. And yeah, he looked, he, yeah, he completed the passes. He did whatever, but I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm just saying, everybody's like touting him already. I'm just saying, pump the brakes no, just a little bit. I'd be inclined to let Emory Jones show us what he's got, to be honest with you. I don't know, man. Look, and I'm not saying the guy's going to be like a Heisman candidate. I'm not saying that he's going to go lead him to the East. I'm just saying, I, I, I do think he is. You can win games with him as a starter. I don't think it's a significant drop-off from Felipe Franks, and I do think he's better than Emory, Emory um, Jones. Jones where they are right now. Yeah, I'm just thinking Georgia's such a power in the SEC East. Florida wasn't going to be Georgia with Felipe Franks anyway. Florida's probably, talent-wise, still going to be the second-best team in the SEC East. I'd say throw Emory Jones out there and see maybe if he can raise your ceiling a little bit. We are talking earlier about uh, Michigan's offensive struggles. And Nick Holt says, look at how quickly LSU's offense has improved. Look at Maryland's. Why does Michigan always struggle to get it? Uh, why is Michigan always struggled? I was reading a comment. Why was Michigan always struggled to do what? To, we, we've seen, he's pointing out, you've seen some quick offensive turnarounds at LSU and Maryland this year. I got you. Why... Jim Harbaugh comes in with a little bit of a rep- reputation as an well, offensive guru. Why yeah. hasn't this been able to take the next step? Well, I think one thing, I mean, the LSU deal, if you look at, I mean, it, 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 yeah, it's been, it's, it, it's hit this year. And it's, it's caught on and caught traction. But this has been a, a progression, really. You had the Matt Canada experiments, which got them a little bit away from just straight up fullback power run stuff, uh, but not quite what Ed Ogeron wanted. Then when you got to Steve Insminger, mm-hmm. who turned it more into a, a more wide open spread style system, but still, you know, tugging front, kind of the old school approach. And now Joe Brady comes and adds this new element, and now they have a quarterback, and now they have receivers, and it just all clicks. So I think it wasn't as, as quick of a, of a turnover this year at LSU as people want to make it. And Maryland, who knows? I mean, Syracuse might just be really bad. Um, they didn't score against Temple. I, I think Josh Gaddis at, at Michigan, I mean, one person, I think you got to pin a little bit of this on, I don't want to pin it on it, but like, when's the quarterback play going to look like mm. it needs to at Michigan? When is Shea Patterson going to be a guy that puts, puts you on his back? Yeah. Um, and I do think, and I've said this before, I think the personnel in the receiver position, as talented as it is at Michigan, very different than the personnel that, say, Josh Gaddis is working with at Alabama. Sure. Different stylistically. I just don't know if all the pieces are just naturally come together that quickly. They're still waiting on Donovan Peoples-Jones to be healthy, too. Uh, I just dropped in uh, in the comments section. Our Chris Hummer wrote a long story today on Michigan's offensive woes, uh, if you guys want to read it. They're actually down across the board. In every single offensive category compared to last year. 
And last year, at least, like, say what you want about Michigan's offense last season. You know, not dynamic, plodding, not explosive, can't make up for a Don Brown defense that, you know, could give up a big play every now and again. They only had 11 turnovers last year offensively. They already have five through two games. So it's been, I think it's been a nightmare. And it really could cost them Saturday. Uh, last question for now. Uh, Henny300 asks on YouTube, does Notre Dame win if they somehow hold Georgia to under 200 rushing yards? Mm. Um, I, don't, I don't think you can just say they win, but, I mean, that's, that would be ideal. Do you kind of think Jake Fromm's, like, itching to, to show us nationally that he can win a game with his arm? I don't think that's the way he operates. Okay, really. I mean, I would be. I know, but that's, I, but you're not. You know, you're not the quarterback of Georgia. He's that's watching, why Jake Fromm. That's why Jake Fromm is in the starting job right now, and you're sitting here. That's why Jake Fromm well, is in the starting job right now, and Jacob Eason is at Washington. Is because I really think that what makes Jake Fromm good is his ability to take what the defense gives you, not to press, play within himself, and just operate the offense. And so the whole idea of like I need to prove that I'm a big time quarterback, I think is sort of, is, is the antithesis of what makes him a good player to begin with. You're right, I just think it'd be fun. We watch Tua do it weekly. Jake Fromm watches Tua do it weekly. Jake Fromm knows he's linked to Tua. And then of course, Joe Burrow, all of a sudden, you know, was more of a game manager than Jake Fromm is and Joe Burrow explodes against Texas. I think it'd be kind of cool to see Jake Fromm throw the ball all over the yard, you know, get 400 yards, three touchdowns. I think that'd be good for him. I'd like to see that. All right, thank you, Connor. Now it's time to talk a little T-Law with this week's Boiling Point. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hello everyone, welcome to Boiling Point, where we put our experts to the test by asking them a few pointed questions. Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence has thrown five interceptions through three games so far this season. One more than he threw as a true freshman all of last year. With me today to discuss this issue is Charles Power, national analyst at 24-7 Sports. Charles, as the starting quarterback of the defending national champs, Lawrence entered the season with a lot of Heisman hype and he lets a little bit of that slip away with each pick he throws. Are we witnessing a sophomore slump or is there something else to blame? I think he's definitely off to a bit of a slow start. I, I, I think when you look at the, the receivers and the surrounding his, his you know, supporting cast, they're definitely taller, six foot four, slower receivers who really are outstanding at the catch point, um, making contested, contested catches, jump balls, back shoulder, stuff like that. But when you kind of look at his interceptions, a lot of them are very small window throws. And right now, with Demari Rogers just kind of getting back from injury, Clemson hasn't had a guy that can kind of stretch the field or add yards after the catch. So he's making these smaller margin throws, and it's it's you know not giving him a ton of room for error. So when you look at his interceptions, that oftentimes they're when the corners are coming up and squatting on on, on shorter throws. And Kirk Herbstreit actually noticed this during the Syracuse game and kind of made a comment on it. 
but I definitely think it's true. Um, it, but it, that, that's not really an excuse for Lawrence. He still needs to, you know, locate the defensive backs and, and make better decisions. So I, I think it's a little bit of a combination. I think people would have a lot less to say about Lawrence's picks if he had twice as many touchdown passes. 45 different quarterbacks at the FBS level have thrown more touchdown passes than Lawrence's five so far this season. Has Lawrence made enough plays to make up for his mistakes? I think so. Um, I, I, Clemson's offense is, is a little different this year in, in terms of scoring via touchdown passes, but, but I think we've seen Lawrence make more plays with his legs. Uh, and, and if you look at Clemson's offense, I, I don't think they're clicking on all cylinders right now, but they are averaging like seven and a half yards of play. I think that's good for 15th in the country. They're scoring almost 40 points a game. Um, so I, I think once they get Amari Rogers back and, and, and fully going, and I think you'll see Lawrence kind of settle in and start throwing more, more touchdowns once they get an ACC play. Charles, thank you so much for stopping by. Clemson is undefeated despite Lawrence's somewhat shaky start, so you know the Tigers aren't really going anywhere. Make sure you're following Charles on Twitter and reading his work at 247sports.com. All right, thanks, fellas. So let's let's talk about this for just a second. Uh, Deshaun Watson, what, two, three years ago, threw 17 interceptions. T-Law has five now. I mean, uh, what are, are we overreacting here? Well, I think that's important context. Uh, because I think back to that Deshaun Watson junior season. Mm -hmm. I mean, everyone was talking about how he was, I don't know, like the narrative was like, what's wrong with Deshaun Watson? He got all kinds of uh, criticism in the draft process. There was this impression that he, was I don't careless? know, like, yeah, just had, had lost his touch or whatever it was. And he did have 17 interceptions that year, which is kind of crazy to think back. I not watching through 17 interceptions. But he didn't throw any in the national championship game he, when he went for 420 against Alabama. And I'll look back, and I think that's an important comparison to make. So Deshaun Watson threw the first three games, seven touchdowns and three interceptions. This is 2016? This is 2016. Yeah. Through the first three games, Trevor Lawrence, five touchdowns, five interceptions. So, you know, that's, that's worse. But, but you also look at Trevor's throwing at 60% completion rate to Deshaun Watson, 56 at the same time, 831 yards to 692 by Deshaun Watson at the same time. So, yeah, he's made and, – and I think Charles did a good job of, of sort of giving an idea of sort of where some of these interceptions may be coming from. So just interceptions alone, yeah, there's a, but he's still looking great. Otherwise, and he's, he is ultimately in a lot of cases just trusting his receivers and throwing it up. And sometimes those guys get beat. And I don't think I think that's not going to happen a whole lot. If you want to look at the alternative in terms of a negative for Clemson is we've seen this also where it didn't work out. Jameis Winston in 2013, when they won the national championship, he had 40 touchdowns and 10 interceptions the following year when. They looked bad all year, but kept winning, and everyone's like, "What's season. wrong with yeah. Florida State?" Imploded in the Rose Bowl, and then they, you know, they could get it done in the playoffs. It was twenty-five and eighteen touchdown interception, pretty significant God. difference there. So, I think that's like you can take your choice. Like, do you think this is Jameis Winston of Florida State twenty fourteen, or is this Deshaun Watson Clemson of twenty sixteen? I, I would, my, my choice, what I believe is, this is more likely Deshaun Watson of twenty sixteen. Is Clemson? So what they do, they mess around with these teams, sometimes they don't look sharp, and they win by 40. I think he's going to be fine. 
I think the numbers are gonna, the ratio is gonna start to grow a little bit. And I also look gonna add, he looks great running the ball. Like yeah, that, that's, that's a new element. That's a new element. And to Charles him. pointed that out too. Yeah, he looks great running the ball. I, I and he said this in every post game press conference. Trevor Lawrence has. He is trying to force things right now, and I, you know, not a quarterback here, uh, but I would imagine that's kind of lending itself to the overthrows or the underthrows. And each game, there's been a few, and I think if he dials down on that just a little bit, we're talking like the interceptions are going to go away. And not only that, the yards are going to tick up. I'm talking like 50 to 60 chunks and touchdowns, too. Trevor Lawrence, is, he's, he's right there. I think he's just fine. Look, he's only a sophomore. I know freshmen these days come in, they're, they're super that. But he was built up so much this offseason. Like, it was, everybody was acting like it was a shoe-in for him to, be, to win the Heisman. So I think people just need to relax here a little bit. It's yeah. so wild that we're going to see him for a whole other year next year. It seems yeah. like an eternity. For that guy in college I mean, football. Everybody's acting like he's already the guaranteed number one pick two years away. So, I mean, yeah. yeah. So It's just, it's really hard not to be a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to show you. I think that Alabama game. game maybe did the most damage because he was so good in that mm-hmm. game, and everybody remembers that. And then now we're looking at, you know, so. We hold him to the standard of one of the best quarterback performances ever. Okay, so let's go ahead and stay on this topic, I guess. because Let's look at our front runners for the Heisman race. Yeah. So we got Jalen Hurts. Well, this is the odds: four to one, two to two to one. Joe Burrow, nine to two. Yeah. So I guess we kind of, you know, we chose our three and then sort of just threw the odds in there. I like all three of these guys. I think if you had to choose a guy who's going to drop off the Heisman frontrunner list by October, I think we're clearly going Joe Burrow. But I also think it's pretty remarkable that we're talking about an LSU quarterback as a Heisman favorite mm-hmm. through through you know almost four weeks of the season. Yeah, I mean, I you you say that, and I mean, I guess yeah, like we've seen what Tua does, what he has to work with. We've seen what Lincoln Riley does with Jalen Hurts. So, yeah, hard to envision anything that would see those guys slipping and not having good performances the rest of the way. But I'm 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 certainly not expecting Joe Burrow to slip either. I mean, that's kind of where we're at too. Is Joe Burrow is. Um, is looking like a guy that's going to have a pretty huge year and going to have a pretty huge usage rate throughout the season in terms of his ability to throw the ball and, and, and what they're going to try to do with that offense. You know, Jalen Hurts is number six nationally in rushing. I didn't realize that. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I got it right here. And he's also outpaced. Jalen Hurts is outpacing through three, through three games, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. Like, to a pretty silly uh, stat. Yeah, he's number six nationally in, in rushing yards. It's just absurd. All right, how about the guys that are in the mix? So we've got six guys here, two slides. T-Law, already talked about, Jonathan Taylor, Sam Ellinger. Um, and then the other slide, yeah, Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields is wow. pretty good value for NBA to one. Because, that, I mean, Ohio State right now looks like they're all the way legit. Mm-hmm. Justin Fields is – what we knew about Justin Fields was that he was athletic. Yep. What we – Knew about Justin Fields was that he has a big arm and can make all the throws and he's big, yada, yada, yada. What we didn't know about Justin Fields is whether he could take care of the football. Mm-hmm. We didn't know whether he would be accurate. Mm-hmm. He hadn't had a turnover yet. He hadn't, and he's, he's been one of the most seven, accurate quarterbacks in the country. Of his passes, yeah. So given the way that Ohio State's playing, given the way their defense is playing, given what it looks like they're, that, they're, that this is a, like a really strong playoff contender, I just think if he just keeps on doing what he's doing, 
uh, hard not to make a case that he's going to be right there in the mix at the end of the year. I, Josh, before you move on, I want to go back oh. to my boy Sam, and then I do yeah. want to talk about the running back. Oh, Connor, you got something? No, I just I'm excited to hear what you have to say because he's I, number I like him so he's number 11 in passing yards per game, number three in touchdowns, no interceptions, and the rushing yards aren't even there yet because outside of the LSU game, they've been intentional about keeping him safe. And let me just say. I am so happy that now we have Texas Longhorns B-roll on this show, given the fact that this game was broadcast on the CBS Sports Network. (laughs) Sam Ellinger truly looks like a legitimate Heisman candidate. I think it's funny. Every quarterback since Colt McCoy and Vince Young at Texas has been like, we've tried to shoehorn guys into you're the next Vince Young or, you know, guys into you're the next Colt McCoy. And Sam Ellinger actually looks like the next Tim Tebow. So it's pretty great. He, he's scoring touchdowns in a variety of ways, taking care of the football. Except he's a better thrower than Tebow. Better thrower than – I just – this is just – I can't believe how good he is, to be honest with you. Yeah, and coming out of the Texas LSU game, I, I was saying stock up on Sam Ellinger's Heisman chances because, like, even in a loss, like, he was just so important to everything that Texas was doing. And playing in the Big 12, like, just don't worry about the stats. They're going to be there. It's just going to be a matter of, like, do you beat Oklahoma and do you have some big moment that you can hang your hat on and say, here's my here's my highlight real Heisman moment? Yeah, I think that's yeah, that's absolutely what it boils down to is can he win a couple of really big games? Because, I mean, the the competition is so high. The, the bar is so high for winning the Heisman with the offenses these days and the quarterbacks right now. And I would, pro- I, would, I would make the case that Sam Ellinger is the most important mm-hmm. player in the country. He is the most probably valuable player in the country. Uh, it's just that if he doesn't beat Oklahoma or doesn't win one or two of these really marquee games, then how are you going to pick him over to or, or, or whoever else, Jalen? It's, it's just like the, the offensive sort of re-evolution that has made all these quarterbacks at marquee programs putting up ridiculous numbers, the Oklahomas and the Alabamas. You guys remember a few years ago, Robert Griffin III of Baylor won the Heisman Trophy because he was putting up numbers that no one else was, and it did not matter. Jackson of Louisville. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. It didn't matter that these guys like weren't in the playoffs. So I think it's interesting, but I, I'm absolutely, if Sam doesn't if Sam doesn't get Texas a Big 12 title, I don't think he has a chance to win the Heisman. You got something to say? Nope. Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Let's talk about the running backs, though, because I think we have like an interesting – yeah, Chuba Hubbard, Barton sort of listed him. He's, he's not even on the board for Heisman odds, but he's number one in rushing yards, number one in touchdowns. Barton, of all the running backs sort of in the Heisman mix, you've got Etienne, you've got Dobbins, you've got Jonathan Taylor. You kind of think Chuba's the guy? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is my favorite running back in the country. And I'm not saying he's the best running back in the country, but I'm just saying, I mean, I know there's probably a lot of people that haven't watched Oklahoma State yet. You, have, you didn't care about their Friday night game against Oregon State. I don't blame you. You didn't care about them playing... Uh, at Tulsa yeah. last weekend. I don't blame you. I think they had an FCS opponent week two. I'm just telling you, Chuba Hubbard, when he gets the football, like is as explosive as a player as college football has this year. Uh, dangerous. Like I'd be ter- like as a def- for, like if I was playing college football and I was looking at that film, I, that would keep me up at night, for worrying about getting the right angles and trying to, to stop him before he gets going. He, he's, he's just, man, he's just fun to watch. So I think if, yeah, if they win a few games, it'll be because of him. If they beat Texas, it'll be because of him. And, and all of a sudden, then you're looking at him for a Heisman talk. I'm going to put you on the spot real quick. You made predictions on the Heisman earlier before mm-hmm. the season. Would you change it now, what you picked? I think so. Did I pick you Trevor Lawrence? Sam. Oh, I picked Sam? And I picked T-Law. I would pick. I picked Tua. I'm, and I'm sort of disappointed I didn't pick him. I, I would probably just stick with it, but 
if I were if if you were making me repick today, yeah, I think I think the smart the smartest pick the safest pick is Jalen Hurts. I mean, Lincoln Riley is going to do Lincoln Riley stuff, and Jalen Hurts is going to put up sick numbers again. And Oklahoma is averaging 11 yards a play again. And why would you doubt that the quarter that the coach that's produced two consecutive Heisman Trophy winners that were totally different style players? Or, or at least slightly different style players, is now got another one that's just as talented in, a, in different kind of ways, and they're using all that. Like, it's just, it makes too much sense. I agree with you. I would change mine to Jalen Hurts. And the thing we're not even talking about, I've kind of alluded to it in the past, this is something that, like, your uncle would tell you at a watch party. The national media loves Jalen Hurts. That's true. Like if, th- if it's a toss-up between two and Jalen Hurts, that's true. Oh my goodness! Well, even Alabama fans still love him. Yeah, Mac Wilson yeah. said Jalen Hurts for Heisman. If it's even close, even if Tua has an edge, or even if Oklahoma's not in the playoff, the media narrative with Jalen Hurts. I mean, talk about like a Disney story. Like you know, prodigal son gets benched. All of a sudden, it goes somewhere else, and when I mean, it'd be too irresistible to pass up. I said to I know he's the favorite, but I'm telling you, Justin Fields is coming on strong. I like what I see out of him. So last year I had picked in the preseason Dwayne Haskins when the highest when I got close, but yeah. I love Ohio. Uh, Ryan Day is kinda Lincoln Riley of the North. Hey, will y'all let me know when I'm allowed to call out all the haters on Justin Fields that called him a bust when he transferred from Georgia? You can probably go do it now. Just let me know when I'm allowed to start gonna, putting yeah. them on blast. You can do it. I'm not ready. I'm not ready yet. I'm going to segue us into the next segment, which is Josh's big bet. So Josh actually lost last week, so we were sad to see it. But That's to, two in a row. Yeah. And actually, they were cut. Uh, oh, you making excuses? Bad beat, huh? Yeah. Bad beat. Trash beat. They like South Carolina score with like 10 seconds left. Well, Take a knee. Hey. Anyway, you're only down now to 22,000, which is what you started with back, when you won the World Series of Poker. Back to where you started. Actually, Injured. if it wasn't for that late hit or that targeting call, they would have covered the spread. So, so just you, to update everyone, Josh is a 22,000 heir because of his big win at the World Series of Poker right. this, this yeah, offseason. Yeah. And uh, every week he gets 22 grand to make a bet and see what he can win. And he's more than welcome to go all in. You have to go all I in. I guess this I have week. to go all in now. I'm short stacked. That's right. So short stacked. Little, little, little poker term for you. Poker I guy over here. So once you read it out, you have 15 seconds to make your pick and tell us the decision. Big gambling guy over okay. here. Okay. All right. Oh, I knew this was coming. Kentucky at Mississippi State. Mississippi State's minus six. This line has gone down. I think it opened up at nine or eight. Uh, they Kentucky does not play at in Starkville very well. Uh, Too much God, that, That's a tricky line. Six? Ooh, I thought you were ready for this. I, just, I, you actually, I, I'll take Kentucky plus six. <laughs> oh, you just got it in. Ugh. Oh, Kentucky plus six. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I actually kind of like that pick as well. Um, I think that, that I was surprised that that number was so big. Yeah. It's all, it so a little bit of a homer pick, but defensible. Yeah. It, it just Kentucky sh- struggled down there lately, so I don't know. Don't love it. Six is kind of tricky. Tommy Stevens sounds like he's feeling a little better this week after uh, being banged up last week. I was not impressed with them last week. But, again, what do I know? Uh, All right, take a palooza time. Hot takes from these guys. What do you got? Trey? Uh, Yeah, Josh, thanks for asking. Uh, Michigan and Notre Dame fans, I'm sorry, y'all. You're in for tough Saturdays. You're playing two stout defensive teams. You two are going to combine for less than 21 points on Saturday. I don't know who's going to do it the worst I feel like Michigan might lay a goose egg. 
against Wisconsin. I mean, they won't, but Wisconsin hasn't been scored on yet. Wisconsin is giving up 0.9 yards a carry, and I think like something like 0.9 yards a play. Georgia, for its part, is also top 10 in yards per play allowed defensively. Michigan's offense is already a mess, down across the board in every statistical category. And I'm just saying this now, there are rumblings on Twitter and the message boards. The status of true freshman running back Zach Charbonnet is kind of up in the air right now. And he's been like, the, the freshman has been the only positive thing for Michigan's offense so far. Michigan's going to maybe score seven. As for Notre Dame, I'm not saying you're going to get blown out or boat raced at Georgia, but Georgia's way, way, way better than you. And I think Ian Book's going to be who he was against Louisville and who he was against Clemson. I think he's going to really struggle. A little teaser. A little teaser to a couple of your picks later. Oh, huh? well, no, we're all here for your picks. We're, no one's here for my picks. We're all here for your picks. Well, um, what do you got? All right. Well, maybe a teaser for my picks then. I think at least one top 25 team goes down as a double-digit favorite. And I, you know what? I might even punch this up and say two go down. I okay. think that there's some – like this is going to be a great weekend for college football – because there's some big games, but there's also, I think, some upsets waiting to happen that maybe we don't even see coming. Who are the I'll, candidates? Here? I'll give you some candidates. You got Tennessee, Florida at 14 point line. You got Pitt, UCF. That's, I mean, Pitt could absolutely be UCF at home. All right. TCU at SMU. I'm sticking that in there as a nine and a half point line, but SMU could, could mess around and win that. Yeah. Oregon, Stanford. We all saw what happened last year in this game. I think Oregon's I better than Stanford. What? I didn't. You didn't? Yeah, I forgot. Oh, well, they, this is the game that Oregon was winning c- oh, control yes, yes, and kind of threw it away. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Old Dominion, Virginia. I mean, they did this last really? year, 29 points. But they, you know, this, they've done this with Virginia Tech. And you got Notre Dame, Georgia, 14 points. UCLA, Washington State, 18 and a half. At least one of those goes down. It would be extremely Chip Kelly and extremely Mike Leach for UCLA to win that game. I'm just saying. It, it, uh, like, I, yeah. In my head, I can see, like, because every single year, I think like in the last five years, we've had a point in September where we've, we've looked at Washington State as a playoff team, and we're not doing it now because we know, the, the, we know the, the stumble's coming. Maybe it's UCLA. Did you know that UCLA right now is 130th out of 130 in yards per play on offense? I did not know that. The great Chip Kelly is dead last in FBS football in yards per play. Well, and, he's and they're like, not that much better on defense. They're 112th. And he's like tired of hearing questions about Chip. Why aren't you running the Oregon stuff? He's like, that was 10 years ago. Yeah, don't you get it? It's like, like well, why, they hired yeah. you to do this. Well, I mean, I, the, the, like, the, the thing that bothers me about his uh, annoyance with the question is that they are 130th in the country. Yeah. It's like, well, man, like, you do something. Like, this is not working, whatever you're doing. So uh, they played some decent defenses, though. They played Cincinnati, Oklahoma, and San Diego State. None of those teams are bad. Um, none of them, I mean, San Diego State's the only one that's really got a reputation as, like, a great defensive team. So we'll see if they do a little better against Washington State. Connor, how are we doing on questions? Yeah, uh, Damian Cox asks on YouTube, uh, I'm going to make sure I frame this correctly, if Georgia loses a regular season game, Hmm. which team do you think it will be that beats them? So I guess which is the most likely regular season stumble? Obviously Notre Dame this weekend. All right, I can rock with that question. I think where's where's the Auburn game? It's it's at Auburn. 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 Yeah. Where's the South Carolina game? Athens. Uh, it doesn't matter, but it's in Columbia. Good yeah, test. Are you Athens, Athens. The test. I think. I think. Yeah, I think Auburn on the road is clearly the slip up spot. 
Um, I mean, Texas A&M could get them. Florida, obviously, rivalry game. But if you're talking best bet, you got to go Auburn on the road, especially because Auburn at that point will be that, you know, animal in the corner trying to claw their way out, given you know whatever else has happened up to that point. Got a question about. Zach Charbonnet, Greg Wing on Facebook, wants to know, is he out? I, he hasn't been practicing all week, and I started doing some digging on this. It looks like there's kind of a strange situation going on where our Sam Webb at the Michigan Insider is uh, on the board over there dispelling rumors that Charbonnet has had some kind of surgery. But I don't know. Michigan keeps it pretty tight-lipped on all this stuff. I don't know if you guys know anything. I, I don't know, no. but that's... I think that's a pretty critical answer. Like, we, if you're gonna pick that game, you may want to come up with an answer to that before kickoff. Because and if, if you're planning on picking Michigan, anyways, because Wisconsin, maybe you feel good about regardless. But if Charbonnet is out, um, that's not good. Yeah, he's it's not been, good for that run game. He's been, yeah, he's been a stalwart. All right, this question. He's a good pass blocker too. This is a loaded question from Dale Fowler. He says, had Jake Bentley not gotten hurt and continued as QB1. Sounds like you can keep that one right where you're at. Answer this one on your own here, Connor. Let's hear it. (laughs) And Carolina had a mediocre season. Do you feel Muschamp would have lost his job come season's end? What do you um, think? Bye. Look at the camera and tell us your thoughts. <laughs> I mean, all right, so Jake, I mean, I think South Carolina would have not had, they would have won maybe five games, probably four. Uh, now, what, now they're going to go, what, nine and three? Now they're going to go, look, maybe six and six is like, okay. so, like, really, it, maybe it's a plus one. Max I don't plus know. There's a lot of optimism on Twitter these days. So here's what I want to <laughs> Actually, he was ready to erupt yesterday. Well, I just don't get it. Like, you're a nine-point underdog to Missouri. Like, and all of a sudden, I've seen people counting that as win, Kentucky win. Like, what? what's going on? I, they just got beat by Alabama by, what, 30 points? I just don't get it. I'm so sorry. This is, so this is about South Carolina fans now feeling good about beating Kentucky. Uh, well, yes. kind of, yes. <laughs> this is the same story I've heard for the past uh-huh. six years. Yeah. yeah, we did I this with take, Jake. We did this. Yeah. Ryan Helinski was Jake Bentley was just, four I was years gonna ago. Say the exact you guys literally thing. did this four years ago. If it wasn't for us starting Brandon McElwain or Perry Orth, man, we would have been <laughs> high out the gate. This I, is this is literally deja vu from Jake you know, Bentley. I mean, I'm not saying South Carolina is going to go. They're they're not going to win nine games. Like you've got to beat Missouri. This so, is, do you think that the fan that asked that question thinks that when that because Jake Bentley is in, that of course they're yeah. going to win significantly more games than they would have otherwise. Yeah, that's, that's what I said is a loaded question. Like, that supposes that South Carolina is going to now go on to have a very. Oh, good I season. love it, man. I love it. But, I love the optimism. But, you have to have I don't it. know. I think if it's realistic expectations for South Carolina right now. I mean, they're a nine and a half point underdog yeah. to Missouri. What if they just lose by 10 points? Yeah. Is I mean, that suddenly going to be. Are people going to be. I on the like ledge that again? Great Holinsky's got. Oh. <laughs> I, I think South Carolina fans have a lot of disrespect for Missouri and do not take them seriously. Certainly so they for will, Kentucky. So they will probably not take it well. <laughs> I can't wait till Kentucky, South Carolina. Oh, man. Anyway, uh, we got uh, Ja Rastafaria. 
What a name. Asks, uh, okay, Barton, here's my question. So USC ends up 5-6 and six at the end of the season. What do you think the chances are of Bryce Young going to Alabama, even though he's committed to USC? And if USC does pick him up, can he be a starter for USC next year, considering uh, he has a good run and at it? Yeah, we, I think, we got it. I got it. I got it. So this is uh, – I mean, this is – Classic college football recruiting. This is wild. But, I mean, <laughs> you're very conflicted here if you're USC because you're probably going to get a new coach regardless. <clears throat> JT Daniels gets hurt. Keaton Slovis comes in. I mean, obviously, you're rooting for Keaton Slovis. You're rooting for, the, for your team to do well. But you kind of want Clay Helton to be gone. You kind of aren't sure if there's much of a future there if he's, if he's around. Then Keaton Slovis goes off and has a good – you know, a good first game. It looks like he looks like he's gonna be a good player. So yay, it looks like you got a good co- player, a quarterback, and a true freshman, Keaton Slovis. But it, you're probably gonna lose Bryce Young now. And the reason you're probably gonna lose Bryce Young is he's okay stepping in and sitting one year, waiting behind JT Daniels, who's and, and beating out whoever else is on the roster, including including probably Keaton Slovis, frankly. But if you're telling him that his option now is to go in and sit for two years, maybe three, behind Keaton Slovis, or have to take the chance, roll the dice to beat him out. Or he can go to Alabama where he could potentially beat out uh, Talia Tungavailoa or Mac Jones to be a true freshman starter for a ready-made team. Then that's, I mean, that's pretty clear where the advantage lies in in that position. So I think it's, I think forget everything else. I, I just think... Right now, given the way Keaton Slovis is playing, unless he just falls off a cliff, I mean, not unless he starts playing really poorly and doesn't look very good anymore, and it looks like an obvious opportunity for Bryce Young to come in and save the day, I just think it's hard to envision USC hanging on to Bryce Young. Uh, Matt Raymond Luther asks, why no love for Jonathan Taylor? Well, we had him up there. Yeah. We just didn't talk about him. But I do think that Jonathan Taylor is... I mean, this is his Heisman weekend. I mean, he's got to have a few, but you can't, for a running back, and we just talked about Chuba Hubbard as like a dark horse. I mean, we're not putting him above Jonathan Taylor yet, but this is the, I mean, he played Central Michigan and uh, USF. Yeah. So if he goes for 120 in a win against Michigan, heck yeah, get him in there. Uh, oh. Oh. Sorry, uh, how possible, Tony Birch asks, how possible would it be to pull Brent Venables from Clemson to be head coach at USC? Whew. I don't know. Is that the fit? Maybe for that one. I don't think he's going to leave until his son's gone. Uh, I don't know. And I'm not, I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's going to take a really specific job for it to be the right fit for Brent Venables. Maybe that is. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to know, but he is a, he's a defensive coach. I think he likes being a defensive coordinator, likes where he's at at Clemson. Sons are on the yeah. team. Yeah, makes more money than, you know, makes $2 million a year. So. Yeah. All right, let's get to the fan of the week. Uh, it is J.D. Wolf on Facebook. Uh, this question's going to hit home with me. Is he going hiking? <clears throat> with all the videos surfacing, should Cash Daniels be punished for that dirty play against Florida? Ah. <sighs> There's new video that came out, what, this morning or last night, or I guess a different angle of the, the twist. I don't think he should be punished. 
I mean, I think it's just like a little, it's too late at this point. It's been a week. I don't believe him when he says he you know, wasn't intentionally. Yeah, it's a bad look. What do you think, Josh? <laughs> what do you think, I'm not man? qualified to answer this. Uh, sure you are. I mean, it, 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 the, the, the new angle does not oh. look good, especially after him coming out in the press, explaining how he got his arm trapped underneath an alignment and he was trying to rip it out like that. Uh, that doesn't look good, but uh, I don't know. Stuff happens all the time in the pile. I yeah, what goes on in the pile stays in the pile. Sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I don't know if I believe that. I don't know. I know you I believe know, that. Like, I don't know. What? what suspension? What? From yeah, like no, that's the thing. Like, what do you punish? Yeah, I, I just think it's – I am not. I don't think it's a good look. I don't think it's um, – shouldn't – it should be discouraged, obviously, but I don't, I don't know if I'm, like, on the – get on the punishment kick all right thank you for your questions you guys ready for some picks let's oh man it. we haven't even done our picks no, yet. let's rip through it all, all right. right throw up the uh the scoreboard here real quick see who's ahead and carter Whoa. has taken the lead Ooh. well and barton and barton yeah well and i whew, i have I'm about to hit 500, fellas. This is not good. <laughs> and we're not even picking against the spread. All right. Let's get started. Friday night, number 10, Utah. It's a four-point favorite at USC. Yeah, I feel like I've occasionally gotten burned by Utah's offense, occasionally deciding just not to show up. But I'm going to trust that defense even on the road and go with the Utes. Uh, yeah, I'm going to Utah. Uh, no question for me. Yeah, like Utah, um, defensive line is going to provide a new challenge for the two freshmen, Keaton Slovis, and that run game for Utah is, is going to be able to push that USC defensive front around a little bit. I think Utah's too good. Utah's going to stay in the race for the playoff. Give me Utah. Oklahoma State at number 12, Texas. Texas is a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Yeah, I think there are some compelling reasons to pick Oklahoma State here, but like I was talking about earlier with Sam Ellinger, I think he's just going to find a way to get it done at home. Yeah, Texas at home. Uh, Oklahoma State, one of the best offensive trifectas in the country. Defensively, though, I don't think they can stop Texas Longhorns. Upsets happen in college football. Oh. You know, sometimes <laughs> a good team uh, loses to a team that maybe they're not better than on paper, or it's better, better than on paper. Um, I, I think that this team, Oklahoma State has proven they can play really close with Texas. Um, I think that this team, and Texas is a little beat up right now. DeMarvion Overshow and B.J. Foster, a couple guys that we may not see. Uh, yeah, they're, they're out. I, I think that this is going to turn into a shootout, and a shootout, anything could happen. I think Texas has been close. Spencer Sanders, that big three, gets him over the edge. I'm going Oklahoma State. Trey, you've rubbed off on me so much that I just wrote down Texas without even thinking about it. Give me Texas. <laughs> there you go. Number eight, Auburn going to number 17, Texas A&M. A&M's a four-point favorite. Yeah, the last time we saw Auburn play an actual team, it was Oregon. Defense played really well, but the offense kind of wasn't there until the final drive. I don't like the way that's going to travel to College Station, so give me the Aggies. I'm going to Auburn. Texas A&M's running back core is depleted. I don't think Kellen Mond is as good right now as I thought he was in the preseason. I think Auburn's going to win on both lines of scrimmage. So I guess it's an upset, but to me it won't feel like one. All right. I think Kellen Mond is better than a true freshman Bo Nix in his mm -hmm. first road game of his career. Uh, they've not been really efficient throwing the football 
They got to be able to run the ball. This is the same Texas A&M defense that limited Travis Etienne to like three and a half yards of carry. Uh, I think Mike Elko and that Texas A&M defense has a great game plan to keep Bo Nix contained. And I think Jimbo Fisher and Kellen Mond at home with the 12th man uh, win and, and I think win handily. True freshman quarterback going into Texas A&M, I got to take the Aggies. Sorry. I like him a lot. I am a little... It's not, I will, it's not a night game, though. Oh, no, that's true. I will say, I am a little... I thought the line would be a little bit closer. I, maybe three or two. But that one kind of surprised me a little bit, but I, I like A&M here. All right. Tennessee at number nine, Florida. Florida is a 14-point favorite. Yeah, I would love to see some fight out of Tennessee in this one, but and maybe we will, but I just don't think on the road against a really good Florida defense that they'll have enough to get it done. Go Gators. I'm going Florida. I I like Tennessee's quarterback situation more, but Florida's got way more talent, and they're I mean, better coach too. I got to be honest with you. I, I, I came really close to picking Tennessee to win this game, wow. and I think that there's just – it's too much of a hunch – to, to actually roll roll with it and actually call the upset. Uh, I just haven't seen enough out of Tennessee yet, but I think this game will be close. I think that Florida has not shown us that they're an elite team through the two reasonable yeah. opponents that they played. And I think Tennessee is showing, I mean, BYU went out and beat USC. Um, I, I just think that game is not as bad of a look as we thought. And the Georgia State game, I think is just a throwout game. So I think Tennessee comes out, is competitive, uh, their defensive line, I think, is their biggest weakness, and Florida's offensive line isn't going to beat them up too much. So I think this is a, a really close game, four-quarter game. Didn't quite go with the upset, but it wouldn't shock me if it happens. Tennessee has not beaten Florida in the swamp since 2003. This Tennessee team ain't going to do it this year. Give me Florida. Number 22, Washington is a six-point favorite at BYU. Yeah, I feel like I'm participating in some kind of curse by continuing to pick against BYU week after week, and they keep on winning, but I'm going Huskies here. Yeah, BYU is sort of nearing the uh, tail end of its brutal opening gauntlet. I think they're a little bit worn down. Washington. Uh, that, that's where I'm at. I think that uh, if this game was like last week, mm -hmm. then I would be a, a little bit more worried, but I think when you got to go to Tennessee, play a rivalry game against Utah, play USC. Two of these games have been overtime games. I just think even though this is a tough place to play, Washington comes in a little fresher. I just think the, the, BYU is going to hit the wall here and uh, got to give the edge to Washington there. I mean, give it to BYU playing all these teams. They're playing good schedule here. So I, I don't know. I like Washington. I, I don't know really. I've got to be honest. I mean, BYU beating USC last week. I kind of agree with what you're saying. Give me Washington. Colorado at Arizona State. Arizona State to seven and a half point favorite. Yeah, Arizona State's defense is going to be the best unit on the field. It's at home. Give me the Sun Devils. I have no idea what to do with either of those teams, so I'm following Vegas here, Arizona State, although they really didn't deserve to win on Saturday. I like Colorado to cover. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and pick them to win, too. I'm less confident in that, obviously. I mean, they're a 7.5, 8-point underdog, but I think after that game against Michigan State, Arizona State comes in a little beat up. They're playing very conservative. Uh, protecting their true freshman quarterback. I think Colorado defensively is where they've got the biggest holes and, and Arizona State, I'm not sure they're ready to exploit those just yet. I think Colorado can get some big plays and do enough to, to pull an upset on the road. How about Herm Edwards, man? Just like, remember he was like the laugh of that coaching hire. Now look at those coaches back then. Mm -hmm. Like Willie Taggart, 
Cherry uh, Pruitt. Yeah, all, just Chip Kelly. All the old heads are balling out. Yeah, and he Matt was Brown, he maybe. was probably rated the the least or even more head down in uh, Mississippi State struggling. So yeah. uh, I like Arizona State here. Give me Arizona State. South Carolina at Mizzou. Missouri's a nine and a half point favorite. Go ahead and do it, Connor. <laughs> yeah, so a couple things going on here. One, I just could not be involved, risk being involved in like a meme where somebody screenshots us all <laughs> picking Missouri and I was in on it uh, if South Carolina ends up winning. Uh, but number two, you know, I'm just choosing to believe that Ryan Holinsky's got some magic in that arm. There and he's going to find a way to get it done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was kind of surprised the line was this big. Interesting storyline here is that Will Muschamp's familiar with Kelly Bryant. I mean, he faced him two years ago, but I think Missouri's sure. got too much juice. Loves what we saw from Holinsky. Not trolling Ryan Holinsky. Uh, certainly no South Carolina <laughs> trolling here, guys, but I'm going Missouri. Yeah, I, I like Missouri here. Um, I am not bought in to the new South Carolina hype because they didn't get blown out by Alabama as much as people thought, I, don't, I guess is what we're saying. But uh, South Carolina's competitive team. I'm not saying they can't win. I just have more confidence in Kelly Bryant and, uh, and that Missouri offense. I've already said too much about South Carolina. I will say this. I think Missouri is a good team, even though they lost on the road to Wyoming. Give me Missouri. Cal at Ole Miss. Ole Miss is a two-point favorite. Does this line kind of surprise you a yes. little bit? Yes. It's moved. Oh boy, yeah. I mean, f almost forget the game. I just want to be at that tailgate with the Berkeley people hanging out with the whole Miss crowd and see oh, how that point. how that goes. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Don't have a that Washington game feels like such a weird outlier, but it's better than anything Ole Miss has accomplished so far. So I'm, I'm going Cal. Cal gonna trust their defense. I don't trust anything else about Ole Miss. Yeah, I, I'm. I agree. I mean, I think that Cal. Um, Really good defense. I think Ole Miss has found something offensively, especially the running back position. They got like three really quality backs right now. Um, but I still think, and I don't even, I can't even figure out how Cal does it, but they, they find a way to ugly these games up, keep them close, and lean on that defense. I think they get some turnovers and win this one on the road. My SEC roots are coming out again. I got Ole Miss. Gosh. Look. They're favored by two. I don't get it. So usually when I don't get a line, I like to bet it that way. I'll take Ole Miss. Early morning kick for those West Coasters. So point. yeah, gonna be point. gonna be tricky. Michigan, number eleven, Michigan at number thirteen, Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a three and a half point favorite. Yeah, I mean I'm going Badgers. I don't know what the case for picking Michigan to win would be unless some like weird turnover stuff happens or Michigan just shows us something that they absolutely have not through the first two weeks. This might be ugly. Wisconsin's going to beat them. I'm not saying they're going to blow them out because I think the score, like 14 to 3 or something like that, 14 to 6. I don't think, I don't see any way Michigan wins. I, I don't know how you can have confidence in Michigan right now. Uh, I do have confidence in Wisconsin. They're throwing the ball more. Quintez Cephas is providing a downfield threat. Jack Cohn a lot better than we thought. Um, their defense looks like they're back to being what we what we envision. Um, they, it's just there's not a lot to trust right now in Michigan, so I'm going Wisconsin. I knew you guys would all go Wisconsin. I'm way behind in the standings. Oh. I'm taking Michigan. <laughs> Week three, I baby. need the win. Let's go Wolverines. <laughs> Finally, Notre Dame, number seven Notre Dame, and number three Georgia. Georgia's a 14 point favorite. Yeah, both two really well-rounded teams. Georgia's just got more talents at home. Give me the Bulldogs. Georgia, it's going to be loud there. I'd like to see Georgia come out wearing black. They're going to smoke them. 
Yeah, I mean, this this atmosphere is going to be insane. They're they, they adding seats. It's going to be the biggest, the, the record crowd for a Georgia game. They've been talking about this all offseason. I, I think Georgia is going to, hey, they're more talented, but I think they're trying to make a statement. We keep on talking about that national championship tier. I think Georgia goes into this game and says, not only do we want to beat Notre Dame, we want to show the whole country that we are, it's, it's not Alabama and Clemson and everyone else. We are better than those teams, and we're going to prove it by how bad we beat this Notre Dame team. I, I think Georgia wins. Georgia big. That's all I have to say. I don't see any way Notre Dame could win this game at all. There we go. Uh, any final thoughts, fellas? No. Parting shots? No. little long show today. Long but I show. Think it was, I thought it was a pretty good show. Connor, yeah. anything you want to add? Not a thing. All go right. Well, <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, for everybody, Barton, Trey, Connor, everybody in the back, Colin, Mike, uh, Boiler, Ted, of course. Ted. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. most all-star studded challenge ever and this time it's every competitor for themselves best challenge ever the challenge all-stars new season now streaming on paramount plus go to paramountplus.com to try it free terms apply